You are listening to WERA 96.7 FM, Arlington, Virginia. This is your girl Yazzie Speaks on Millennial Minds. This evening, we have Mr. Amari Ice, a.k.a. the Prince of Hearts. He is a gay certified matchmaker and relationship coach. He is also the author of Lasting Love at Last, the gay guide to attracting the relationship of your dreams. Hey, Amari. Hey, Yasmin. How you doing, How girl? How are you? <laughs> I'm delightful. Thank you so much for having me. I love it. I love it. Thank you for being here. Uh, Mari, tell us about yourself, um, where you grew up, and what life was like for you as a, as a young boy. Sure. So I help gay men develop the skills needed to find and keep love. And I'm originally from Indianapolis, Indiana. Mm-hmm. I'm the oldest of seven and also the oldest of over 25 grandkids. So if you can imagine that for some people could be like a lot of pressure growing up because everybody's kind of looking to you for answers. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting, too, is I have a family dynamic where my aunts and uncles, my mom, like everybody also kind of they they all look up to me in some kind of way, which is I don't know if that's true for all oldest or if it's just Mm -hmm. me. But I always kind of felt like um, we were more like siblings. And it's it's. Probably because my mom had me when she was 15. And so we yeah. actually all lived in the house together in my mm-hmm. grandparents' house. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We were really, really close growing up. My family's still pretty close now. That's awesome. And then when my mom, you know, got ready to be an adult, when she was ready to move out <laughs> on her own and stuff, mm-hmm. um, we moved around a lot. Like, I probably went to, I think it was 11 schools in 13 years or something from kindergarten to wow. 12th grade. And when I was seven, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. And so grew up there half of my childhood. And then, um, you know, series of events, good and bad, you know, life um, led us back to Indianapolis. And then I came to D.C. for Mm -hmm. undergrad, went to Howard. Thank you. You know, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Fellow bison in the house, y'all. Yes. So ended up um, working in the LGBT empowerment field Mm -hmm. and from there got into the matchmaking field it was totally like kismet um we could i'm sure we'll probably ask questions about that oh yeah that's the short story so growing up was fun close family moved around a lot and now we're here i see yeah now we're here started from the bottom now we're here no but literally like we were poor like boots i understand from the bottom (laughs) like boots yes (laughs) was your family in the world always welcoming to you as as a gay man, um, mm. and and how like how was that? Like, did did your family always know or? Oh, that's such a great question. I'll start here. So I realized I was gay when I was probably in kindergarten. Okay. And I had a crush on a guy in my class, mm-hmm. and I came home, and you know how your parents ask you like, what happened at school today? Right. So my mom happened to be watching Jerry Springer at the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I remember. And there was Jerry, a gay couple. Jerry. Um, yes. Okay. I got my Jerry beads ready. Um, <laughs> I remember Jerry. <laughs> so she asked me that while there was a gay couple on the screen. And at that point, I knew how to read. My mom taught me how to read probably before I started school, I think. And it said gay lovers. But I didn't really know what gay meant yet until they kissed. Right. And I knew as a six year old that if you kiss somebody, that's because you like them or you love them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And since I had a crush on my, you know, crush in the kindergarten class, 
obviously if I like him that would mean I probably would want to kiss him eventually uh, too and so maybe that's saying that I'm gay and then the crowd went crazy when they saw the guys kiss mm-hmm. and I was like oh people don't like that so I just omitted that part of the story about my kindergarten day and so I didn't tell my mom until I was 12 Wow. and I went into her room and I was like hey mom I have something to tell you and she was like okay what and I was like I'm gay mm-hmm. and then her response was yeah you don't know what you're talking about me really okay and i walked out of her room (laughs) and then but it it wasn't like um she wasn't upset she wasn't mad it was very like you know she was like you're too young what are you talking about you You don't don't even know what what that means yeah like it was that kind of you don't know what you're talking about so at 14 um we were going to the grocery store around the corner from my grandmother's house and my mom and i play a lot and she um i don't know who started it but we were playing some game and it was like, hey, guess what? And she would say what? And I would say something stupid and then she would laugh. And uh-huh. then she'd say, guess what? I'd And I'd say what? She'd say something stupid. Then I laughed. Mm-hmm. And so we kept going back and forth. So I'm like, guess what? She goes, what? And I say, I'm bisexual. Mm-hmm. And she laughs because that was the pattern. But then she <laughs> recognized what I said. <laughs> and then she pulled into the parking space and she started crying. Oh. And I started crying because it's my mom. Mm -hmm. But it was just like 30 seconds, plus or minus five. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, you know, I kind of knew, but I didn't want to say anything to make you upset. But you're always going to be my baby. So it's fine. Right. Meanwhile, in the back of my head, I'm like, but I told you when I was 12. How did you kind of know? But it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) went back to joking around, went into the grocery store. Everything was fine. So my mom accepted it. And, and then, that's wonderful. It, but this is the funny part. Mm-hmm. So about six months later, I called her because um, I was staying with my grandparents to go to the high school I wanted to go to. And I was like, hey, remember that conversation we had like six months ago? She was like, yeah. I was like, um, I'm just gay. She was like, oh, OK. <laughs> so I, I think the reason I said I was bisexual is because maybe I'd heard like, you know, people saying there's still hope if you're bi. So it was kind of a way to ease the conversation in. So it was fine with my mom. Um, my grandparents, well, my grandmother specifically. So she was very, very, very religious and was not it's having it at first. I already know where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I lived with her, like I said, now, throughout high school. Now, when did she, you tell her? Or um, when did she find, you know? Probably a week or two after I called my mom back and was like, okay. yeah, I'm just gay. Okay. So after that is when I came out to my grandmother. So I was still 14. Mm-hmm. No, I was 15 at the time. I told my grandma. I don't even remember how I told her. Or what the conversation was. Mm-hmm. I just remember she was not having it. We were going to church. It's a sin. Your gay people go to hell. Like all the kinds of things. Like mm-hmm. it was a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to say this, but I am so grateful for that experience of living with my grandmother for four years and having to go through that because it actually made me even more sure about who I was before I was even 18. And so wow. now my grandma is like one of my best friends, like in the corner, like everything's fine. I love it. But during that time, like it was hella stressful, as you can imagine. Like I was prepared yeah. to, you know, be living on the street somewhere. Like, I I didn't know what was going to happen, how people were going to take it, what was going to end up progressing from that situation. But, yeah, it was probably one of the most um, stressful situations I ever went through. But also out of it came all this confidence and glitter you see today. Right. Like having to defend myself against my grandmother on a daily basis is what shored up 
all of wow. that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, like I said, it's funny because now it's, like, not a thing. Like, my right. grandmother's met my partner. Of course, she's coming to the wedding. Like, yeah. she's she has grown so much in her perspectives on not just, like, relationships and sexuality, but also mm-hmm. on divinity and all of that. Like, yes. it's just... It's That's so cool so to beautiful. see that. Yeah. That's amazing. And I'm so it's hap- it it makes me very glad mm. to hear um your story. Yeah. And because unfortunately, you know, we know that a lot of, you know, gay young mm-hmm. boys and men um, you know, under the age of 18 and even young lesbians, you know, they if they they don't always get a positive response right. from their family members yeah. when they, you know, when and they, everybody when they else was a lot easier. So my dad, when we finally had that conversation, mm-hmm. it was fine. My grandpa was fine. Like Good. everybody else was fine. Good. Like no issue at mm-hmm. all. So it was really interesting. I see. Yeah. I see. Wow. Okay. Okay, Grandma, Bill's confident. Okay. okay. <laughs> Come through, <laughs> Granny. <laughs> I yes. know that's right. Um, now, what was it in your life or what what happened or what was it that inspired you to become a matchmaker mm. and a relationship coach for gay men? Let's make a complicated story very simple. <laughs> so as a kid, if you asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up, like, I didn't really have the language to say I want to be a matchmaker or relationship coach, but Mm -hmm. I always had the nature. So I was always like if I had a party, I know who to invite or who to sit next to each other so that they had a good time or which friends would get along, which of my family members would get along. Like I just always had that personality. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, like I said, I'm the oldest. And so everybody would always come to me for everything. So I've always been like the family. They call me the family psychiatrist or whatever, (laughs) which obviously is not what I was doing at all. But, you know, we don't always know what we're saying, but we know what we mean. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I I just always been that person. And in college, um, my first major was actually dance. And then I went to psychology and I realized that, hmm, I don't really want to help people for 20 years like the same person. Like the way my (laughs) attention span is set up, I kind of need to see results a lot sooner than that. Right, right. And that's when I learned that coaching was a much better um, field for me to go into. Both because I want to help you get results Mm -hmm. and not just process necessarily, right? Mm Because therapy, like you can use it for lots of different things. But the if we had to sum up what therapy is, is in two words it's really about healing and coping right Mm. healing the pain of the past or coping with what's going on in your life right now Mm. whereas coaching is about achievement and accomplishment so if I have a goal whether it's money or weight loss or a relationship if I want to get something that I don't have right now Mm -hmm. coaching is the thing that helps me get it and fast Mm. so you can work with the therapist like I said for you know a couple weeks couple months up to some decades Mm -hmm. but with the coach usually work with a coach a few weeks to maybe a year I got you Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it it was a much better fit. So that's how the coaching happened Mm -hmm. and the matchmaking nature. But then how did you learn about coaching? I mean, was that through college or just in talking to people? 
I don't know exact. It might have been in one of my psychology classes, okay. but I know before I even graduated, I had a business plan for um, a coaching company. That's amazing. I knew I wanted you just to do knew it. it. I love it. And I had a friend who already was like, um, she graduated with her master's already in therapy. So mm-hmm. she was already doing the counseling and we were having meetings talking about how we would partner together mm-hmm. and we we're going to build this center and it was going to have like glass walls and a koi wow. pond. And it, like, and I think I might've been a junior in college. Mm-hmm. So I already had that in the back of my head, mm-hmm. but I didn't go there immediately in the way that I thought professionally. So um, while I was at Howard, I was the president of their LGBT organization, which okay. is called Cascade now. Okay. So it was originally called Blagosa. Okay. But um, we partnered with an organization in D.C. called Us Helping Us. Mm-hmm. And it's a company that specializes in um, prevention, testing, education around HIV and STDs. Mm-hmm. And their target demographic is black gay men. So through that partnership, they invited me to a retreat. It was so much fun. Mm-hmm. And the only way you could come back is if you invited someone new. So I ended up recruiting 50 people in a year and they gave me a job. They're like, you have to work for us because you're doing this for free and it's fun. That and nobody's amazing. had this much success this easily. Wow. So they offered me a job. Wow. So I worked in that field for almost a decade mm-hmm. until I finished grad school, got an MBA in marketing. And I was mm-hmm. like, OK, I'm ready to do what I'm meant to do now. And even through that experience, I was still coaching professionally right. as a part of my job. So I've been getting all that experience over that decade as a coach. And then I was ready to, you know, make the leap and do it on my own. Wow. Yes. And what is the name of your coaching company? Yes. It's called Amari Means Love because Amari means love. Your name means love. Look at that. It was just meant to happen. I love it. Now, what is a What is a unicorn king? Your unicorn king is an excellent lover for you. Someone who has the capacity to meet your needs, who has compatible um, values and a similar lifestyle, who doesn't have any of your deal breakers. Like this is Mm -hmm. a person who is perfect for you. On your website, you say that love is not a fairy tale. It is a video game. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Well, here's the thing. The number one reason people are single is because they're trying to have a level 25 relationship okay. with level three skills. Ooh. Now, okay. Now, what does that mean? That means. <laughs> or, what does, or what does that look like? You know, if you're you're trying to have, you said, a level 25 relationship. Yeah. But you have level three skills. Yes. Relationship skills. That's. Let's think about this in the context of our careers, because our culture does a really good job of teaching us how to be great employees, does a horrible job of teaching us how to have awesome relationships. Mm -hmm. But they're actually the same. You have to do the same level of investment to have the same level of success. Mm -hmm. So if you a level 25 relationship is equivalent to being in the position of like CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you have, you know, a sixth grader. Like you're in sixth grade right now and we're like, yeah, let's have the sixth grader run Apple. Okay, love the sixth grader. Very nice person. Cute kid. You know, all those things are great. Awesome potential. But this sixth grader does not have the capacity at this point in time to run Apple. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. We, We need to go back 
a little bit and shore up those skills. Mm -hmm. So that's what this is like in a relationship. If you are struggling to find love, if you keep attracting the same type of partners, if you don't know how to get someone to go on a date with you or you date, but you can never get to commitment or you get into a relationship, but it's on and off for several years or like all those different things are a reflection of your skill level when it comes to relationships. Mm -hmm. And so we think that love is supposed to be this magical experience that Mm -hmm. randomly happens to us if it's in the stars. Mm -hmm. But really, it's not like it's not a fairy tale. You do have a lot more control over the way your relationships develop than you believe you do. Then you've been led to, you know, think you can. It's literally just like a career. That's deep. That's deep. Wow. Got to invest in those skills or you won't be able to have that level of success that you're looking for. That's amazing. I'm sure that you see so many people have revelations. Oh, yeah. When you just just when you start with that. Yes. (laughs) Like they were like, what do you mean? Relationship skills? Like (laughs) what? Invest in my relationship (laughs) skills? Like, what do you mean? Yes. That is amazing. People think investment means I've been spending all this time with this person, getting to know them. Friend. <laughs> you're investing time with them. You're not investing time with your skills though. Like right. you you got to practice, you got to learn. Like you know what mastery, right? Mm-hmm. If you really want to have a relationship that's healthy and long lasting, there's a level of mastery that comes along with that, right? Mm-hmm. The ability to communicate, the ability to manage your own emotions, your own thoughts, the ability to create a safe space for love to develop. Right. Mm -hmm. Before you even have a relationship, those are things you need to already know how to do. And yes, you can learn them while you're there, but it's so much more of a difficult ride. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you invest in those skills before you get there or even while you're there, you're going to have a much easier time making that relationship last. You mentioned um, how some people can be in a cycle of, you know, like they get in a relationship and they Mm -hmm. break it off and then get back into it again and like the whole thing. But um, what does it mean to be emotionally unavailable? And then what factors contribute to someone being emotionally unavailable? Mm. Okay. (laughs) Because we we hear that. We hear it a lot. I think we hear the term a lot. What determines that someone is actually like that? And they probably don't even know that they're emotionally unavailable in in certain instances. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Here's the thing. When we think about a relationship, And where that lives within our bodies, right? If we had to put that in an organ, like the heart is the center of love, Mm -hmm. right? And so when we say someone is emotionally unavailable, what we're saying is they don't currently have space in their heart to let in emotions for that new relationship to flourish and thrive, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They they don't have the space, right? Mm -hmm. So... The disc is full, huh? It, okay. <laughs> no vacancies. So the reasons that we might not have space to be available for love to thrive, there are a few of them, right? I'm sure. So on the one hand, and in many cases, this is what it is, not all the time, but in many cases, it's because of our childhoods. It's because of like inconsistent experiences. Yeah, it could like be trauma, but it could also be, um, for example, Maybe you grew up with parents who weren't like violent or anything like that, but just weren't able to be there for you consistently. So let's Mm -hmm. say your dad was a doctor. This is just an example. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying if your parents are a doctor, you're (laughs) unavailable. Let's say your 
parent was a doctor and they worked 93 hours a week. And so mm-hmm. you barely got to see them. And every time you wanted um, attention or affection or whatever, like your parent was like, yeah, I can't give that to you right now. Mm-hmm. And so you learn to parent yourself. You mm-hmm. learn to not really need anyone else for anything. And because of that, it makes you put up a wall so that you don't let people get too close because you think they're going to hurt you. And so you'd rather prevent that from happening before it happens. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's just one example of many from childhood. But another way that this can work is you're not over an ex. Right. So when we talk about baggage, we usually think about the negative baggage that we might have, like, you know, our previous partner cheated or something like that happened. But there's also positive baggage. And positive baggage Hmm. happens when maybe you were in a relationship with a partner who was really awesome and you did something to mess it up. And now that person's gone. And so you hold them on a pedestal and every new person you meet, Mm -hmm. you compare them to the old person and they just don't compare. I see. Or it could be that you were in an awesome relationship, but your partner passed away. And same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. You hold them on a pedestal and you're not letting the new person in. You're not giving them a chance because you're still attached to that old reality and not that you have to forget or remove the memories. That's not what this is about. It's about making peace with that, making peace with the fact that things are different now Mm -hmm. and being willing to move forward. So anything that keeps us attached to the past, whether positive or negative, that baggage Mm -hmm. is what makes us emotionally unavailable. Take notes, take notes, y'all. I hope you're taking <laughs> notes. <laughs> wow. Now, can people unlearn that or change that? Yeah. So there are a few different ways to do this. If it's something that was traumatic, right, um, or something from childhood, the best, fastest, easiest thing to do is therapy, right? Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is, remember I said that people who – and and. I'm just going to insert something. We didn't really talk about this much, but this is about our attachment styles. And so people who have an attachment style that's avoidant, those are the ones that won't let people in because of what happened in childhood. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So if you have an avoidant attachment style, you don't just have a hard time letting in partners. It's anybody. So because of that, the very thing that people who are avoidant need, which is therapy, because that's going to fix it the fastest, mm-hmm. they have a hard time with the intimacy Opening required for in therapy. therapy. Mm. Yeah. So it's kind of like a catch-22. But what's cool is if you know you have an avoidant attachment style, and most people who are listening to this probably never even heard of it. It's like mm-hmm. the the best not even kept secret like this does not need to be a secret everybody who needs to or who wants to be in a relationship should know their attachment style Mm -hmm. right so if you know you have an attachment uh, style insert hashtag uh google attachment style exactly attachment style (laughs) exactly and i'll be doing a training on this soon but i love it if you know you have an avoidant attachment style you need to go through the discomfort in order to get through to the other side. Mm. So you have to work with somebody, right? So that's if it's traumatic um, or if you have an avoidant attachment style, definitely therapy. If it's something like um, a breakup or positive or negative baggage because of a former relationship, you can either work with a therapist or a relationship coach, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And some people could even do this on their own, in terms of getting over the baggage, there are certain activities and processes that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, people think time heals all wounds, but that's a lie. 
Wow. And you know that because you have friends who got out of that horrible relationship or out of that awesome relationship that they messed up a decade ago and they're still not having successful relationships. Mm-hmm. Time doesn't heal emotional wounds. Wow. It doesn't at all. Only doing the work does. Hashtag do the work. Hashtag the only reason, do the work. So I'm saying hashtags, guys, because <laughs> Amari has all of these amazing, great hashtags in his book. Thank you. <laughs> so on that note, um, Amari, tell us about your book and what we can expect when we read it. Yeah. So in Lasting Love at Last, I outline a 12 step relationship process and relationship is an acronym mm-hmm. and it takes you through preparing for a relationship, navigating the dating process, reaching commitment and then keeping a relationship going once you get into one. Mm-hmm. So all those steps help you do just that. Guys, this the Amari's book. Lasting Love at Last is an easy read. It's a great read. You know, it'd be nice to read with some coffee or, you know, like your favorite, whatever, your favorite drink or some wine and cuddle up with it. Come on, cuddle. Um, and, it, like, <laughs> and it's hilarious. Like, you will find yourself just laughing out loud. So <laughs> definitely, please, you need to um, invest in your relationship skills <laughs> and get Amari's book. So Amari, tell us um, where we can find you on on online and social media. Well, there's two things about this. One, Please. on that book, for all of your listeners, you guys can all have a free copy of it. Just go to lastingloveatlast.com. Right. <laughs> but if you'd like, you can also buy a copy because 100 percent of the profits benefit LGBT youth empower- empowering. Oh, programs. that's amazing. So, Real? Oh, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. So you're already doing the work, Yasmin. Amari. Thank you for buying the book. And, helping oh. the- and on social media, you can find me at Prince Amari. And that's Amari with the A. A-M-A-R-I. Um, have you seen the FX show Pose? Yes. Love it. What do you think? Like, what are your thoughts? Oh, my gosh. Like, it's the show that. We all knew we needed it, but uh-huh. didn't really know how much we needed it yes. until we saw it. I love the show. Yeah. And I will say this is so deep. Um, the, it, There's like these great highs and then these very, very deep lows. Yes. You know, and I find myself like crying and I, I, it's so revealing to me of of so so much of the abuse Mm. and and um just the rejection yeah and and the difficulty that um individuals in the lgbtq community have to go through and and particularly trans you know uh, trans people is there is there a character in that in that show that resonates with you yes i probably resonate most with damon okay and which one is damon damon well, technically, Damon and was Ricky he the dancer? Both, He's a dancer, right? They're both dancers, but yes, the I one who was Damon. going to school for dance. Yes, yeah. I love Damon. Yeah, actually, funnily enough, uh-huh. Ryan Jamal—that's the actor's name. Yes. we actually went to Howard together. You're kidding! Not it kidding is a at small all. World. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Wow. Well, I'm excited, Amari, and we're gonna we're gonna have to bring you back. Oh, definitely. Um, down. 28 minutes is not enough. Not at all. Okay. <laughs> Because I want to learn more about these relationship uh, skills and you might have to open it up to some, you know, some straight folks, too, because we'll be knocking at your door, too. But it's true. I be getting messages like, so can we Because I do retreats and stuff. Um, like we're going to the Caribbean in the fall and they'll be like, can we nice. go too? Yeah, I love it. Well, I mean, but I get it, you know, your purpose and mm-hmm. being very specific and who you focus on and cater to. Right. Yeah. 
Um, and especially I can imagine that there's a shortage of 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 uh, matchmaking and coaching yeah. support. Yeah, according um, to the Matchmaking Institute, I'm actually the first black gay relationship coach who's also great. a certified matchmaker. That is great. Yeah. You are just a trailblazer in transforming people's lives yeah. and allowing them to find, helping them to to find um, and to prepare themselves mm-hmm. for lasting love at last. Yep. You gotta be the change you wanna see. You are listening to WERA 96.7 FM, Arlington, Virginia. This is your girl Yazzie Speaks on Millennial Minds. Till next time, peace.